Are the Diamondbacks on a winning path finally? We talk about the Diamondbacks' series win against the Colorado Rockies here on Snakes at the Diamond. And greetings, everyone. I hope you're having a happy Thursday. The Diamondbacks certainly are having a happy Thursday after taking two of three against the Colorado Rockies at Coors Field. I am Michael McDermott. I write for Fan Nations Inside the Diamondbacks on Sports Illustrated. And I'm joined here today by Wes Beyer. Wes, how are you today? I'm great. Um, I write for AZ Snakebit again. You can uh, keep an eye out for my prospect article coming out this week. Um, see, let's jump right into it. So on tap for today's show, we're going to talk about how the D-backs recent trade deadline acquisitions keyed in on a series win in Colorado. Then we're going to talk about how great a season Christian Walker is having at first base once again. And then after that, we will talk about Miguel Castro and the dilemma with his vesting option coming up soon. And then closing out with a preview of the San Diego series. But before you do that, make sure to click that subscribe button and leave a like down below. I'm um, low comment if you think Christian Walker is the most underrated first baseman in baseball. Anyway, let's get right into it. So, going into the Rocky series, the Diamondbacks had a 4-2 lead in Game 1, but unfortunately six straight singles allowed the Rockies to take a 6-4 lead. They ended up winning it by that final score. Game 2... Diamondbacks were trailing 5-3 in the ninth inning, facing Justin Lawrence once again in the ninth inning. They managed to tie the game before recording an out, ultimately scoring five runs in the inning to win 8-5. And in the series finale, they outslugged the Rockies 9-7. Christian Walker had a pair of home runs and drove in four on the day, including a go-ahead two-run homer in the eighth that gave the Diamondbacks the lead for good. So how would you feel how this series has gone? Was it a typical course field series, Wes? Um, in the 20 years that I've watched baseball, um, 20, 20 plus years. Yeah. That's, it's like, absolutely. Um, that's kind of what Coors is known for. Um, less so home, like home runs as they used to be, but like this, that's a giant outfield. The hits fall, you know, when they fall in, uh, as you can see in game one, it it, and the game, it's the bad timing in the ninth, uh, the game, game two and three were, uh, kind of made up for that. Say the least. I I mean, if they didn't win those two games, then uh, it becomes pretty much impossible for them to stay in the race. So if you want to take a look at what a course field game does from a win expectancy standpoint, we're going to show that here. This is the D-backs win, uh, eight five win. You can see. Uh, not only does it look like a roller coaster, it looks like my heart. It, you could probably joke that's my heart rate during the game. So here's th- here's the win expectancy chart for those on YouTube watching. It, if you look at it, there's a big hump in the uh, seventh inning for the Rockies, and then there's a big drop in the ninth inning for the Diamondbacks. And if you look at game three, the series finale, you can see there's a classic up and down game before the Diamondbacks bullpen settled in for the final six outs. It's a nice W in the middle of that for a win, which uh, makes me happy. Uh, yeah. That is a yeah, absolutely typical Coors Field where you just have like huge shifts and win when expectancies where like just the momentum in the game can change in like a half inning, as you can see there. Um, I mean, you, you could, I mean, obviously a sweep would have been nice 
but uh, two out of three, you'll take that. If they just keep plugging away at series wins, then, um, you know, they really still they stand a chance at uh, actually making the playoffs. If they uh, just lose a couple, like two series coming up, then they probably won't make the playoffs. So, I mean, at two is probably the minimum or the maximum they can lose. Uh, Michael, you like outlined a, you know, a couple different ways that the uh, Diamondbacks can make the playoffs. And I, I think that's really the, just the way they're going to have to do is just take two out of three, take two out of three, take two out of three, uh, as many as you can. So, yeah. So I wrote an article today for inside Diamondbacks asking how many wins would make this season success. As we mentioned in the last episode, we're using the Dimeback standards for what is considered a successful season, which is part one being in position to be aggressive buyers to the trade deadline, which they technically weren't, but also being in it at the very playing meaningful games up to the end. And the number and the arbitrary win total I decided to put for that is 85 wins. Because at that a minimum, if they can get to 85 wins, they would not be eliminated from the postseason race until the Astros series, theoretically. It is a very weird wildcard race. It may take fewer than 87 wins to get into the postseason. We don't know. And it's a pretty difficult pathway to get in there. And that means going 24 and 17, which is just under a 600 run. Now, of course, this team did go on a 600 run in their first 80 games, so we can't say it's impossible, but they are. this is the problem. They are scoring 3.7 runs per game and have a team ERA of 5.19 since June 28th, and that's the game where McGuff blew a 2 nothing lead to, t- to Tampa Bay with the D-backs at 48-32. and 32. And you can argue the beginning of the end. They've been 13 and 28 since June 28th. So you think it's a possibility that they get this possibility. They could turn it around just like they did for that stretch. Well, yeah. I mean, it's how likely of a possibility um, I give it. I think they could do it. I'm an optimist. Like, you know, like I, I brought it out before they went on this, uh, the last two series that they could turn around they're in control of their own destiny um i mean like that's the mindset that it's going to take to make the playoffs in the first place is they have to have the mindset of we control our own destiny we can be a winning team like you said earlier they were on a 600 winning pace uh winning record pace uh that's uh it's, it's possible for them to do it uh, if they keep playing like they have. I mean, two out of three of the 3.7 home runs or 3.7 runs were just Christian Walker if he doesn't have a good day at plate and no one else in the lineup is really hitting then and there's really it's, nothing's going to happen. That's pretty much how it was the last, uh, you know, six weeks. No, this last stretch of time. Um you're seeing Gurriel step up back again. He's had, you know, pretty good series. Cattell has a pretty, you know, okay series. Um, Corbin Carroll is, you know, I think he hit the rookie wall. Um, we'll get into that at some other point, but like you need to see, and Perdomo too, to some extent, has kind of uh, hit the wall. He's not the 
could the, the you know I mean we knew he'd come back to Earth, but I mean it's kind of swung back a little bit the other way. Um, you know, obviously we're resorting to like Buddy Kennedy. Um, you know, we're making we're making some interesting moves. Like Moreno hasn't really done much in the, in the, over the series. Uh, I do think that he uh, his presence with the pitching staff is like it kind of got, it, you you can see there's a difference with him and it was with him and Herrera calling games and uh, Carson Kelly calling games. So I've come so like I said, uh, coming up their next 13 games I think may decide their season. And it's a stretch where they need to go above 500 to keep their season alive. So you got four in San Diego, and we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Then they got Texas Rangers for two, Cincinnati Reds for four after an off day on Wednesday. And then they play three in Dodger Stadium. So they need, in my opinion, they need to go seven and six or better in order to stay on that 85 win target that I put in the article. Now, probably realistically, being for the postseason, eight and five, they might have to go eight and five. And that yeah. and the difference between seven, six, eight, and five is splitting versus winning the series in San Diego. I mean, the one variable here really is that there are a couple teams ahead of them. You know, this Miami that's had them in the wild card that uh, they don't have any games left against. So you have to hope that they're going to, you know, kind of fall back a little bit while they, you know, hopefully the Diamondbacks can, you know, they're winning games and moving up. If the unit, if the, even if they win and have a better pace, if Miami has a better pace, uh, it'll still edge them out of that spot. So, you know, you, you don't, you can't, you can't, you're not complete control of your destiny. Uh, an 85 win pace, like, I mean, I think what you're suggesting is like very, I, I don't think it's unlikely. I think that's actually a very likely, you know, scenario if they're going to have a, you know, a winning season. I think that, that it's possible they could do better. Who knows? Um, that's why we watch the game. So looking at the standings right now, Diamondbacks are two back in the loss column the Chicago Cubs, but they have seven games head-to-head against Chicago. Now, the good news is that's one example of controlling your destiny. They also have four games against Cincinnati while being only one game back in the loss column against the Reds, so that's controlling your destiny. Unfortunately, they're two and four against Miami, and will best-case scenario be... There is, well, they would have to sweep Cincinnati to get the season tiebreaker, and I don't know how feasible that really is. And then again, against Chicago, it depends on how you... I think it depends on how that four-game series can go. I think, realistically speaking, best-case scenario is four and three against Chicago, which would only get you a game closer, but... Game closer, and it would have to require Chicago to lose more games than you the rest of the way. For the rest of those games, obviously. And what I like to see is like a sweep of the Cubs um, or Cincinnati. I mean, both those, if they could sweep both of those teams, then like, you know, each of the teams that they face that are ahead of them in the wild card, that they win every game, that takes them out of the race. In that sense, that's their real, that's where they control their destiny. Um, so if you want- do they have a, do they have a game against Philadelphia? Against Philadelphia? No, they went three and four against Philadelphia this season. Okay. So that, that's uh, the one that drop, game. that drop pop up. And that collision between Bertomo and McCarthy is literally uh, a big problem. Yeah. Is is literally th- has literally thrown a monkey wrench in the season. Yeah, it has. I mean, they can get that last spot. I think is really in their in their destiny. I mean, or I mean, they control getting that. The last spot is well within sight. Getting getting the first wild card spot is very unlikely. Um, 
I mean, this is going to take a, like losing a couple series in a row and then they're they're done. So I mean, I I mean, hopefully the team has the mindset of like, okay, well, I like with the Rockies, we lost the first game. Okay, well, let's take the next two. Like a loss is not that big of a deal as long as you, you if they just don't win, they don't lose two games in a row. Uh, I think they'll win the postseason. They'll, they'll make it to the postseason. I do think that uh, Chicago and Cincinnati definitely have the, and Miami definitely have a tougher remaining schedule than the Diamondbacks up to this point because obviously the Cubs and the Reds have to play each other and also have to play Milwaukee. Well, the Diamondbacks only have to worry about three more games against the Dodgers, four and four against San Diego. If they're four against San Diego and then uh, they control their, two against San Francisco and then two against San Francisco, but they control their destiny the rest of the way. I actually don't think. As good as the Orioles' record has been, I don't necessarily think Baltimore is that. Uh, I actually think Baltimore is a less terrifying opponent than the Dodgers. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you on that. Uh, the The Orioles are a very good team. Don't like don't don't get me wrong. Like they're really they're really good team. They're beatable is, though, and they're they're flawed to some extent. That is a very nasty lineup that they have, and. Baltimore, so obviously it's a bad matchup against a D-backs pitching staff that hasn't pitched well of late. And they've got a they've got a good rotation too. They're much better starting rotation than the Diamondbacks and better bullpen. So um, well, we could definitely say better bullpen, but I would say they uh, the best starter in Baltimore would be the D-backs number three starter, that's Kyle Gibson. The only thing. They have, I mean, they have- they're they have a better five just in terms of their floor. Obviously, Gallon is better than any starter that. Baltimore has same thing. I think Mario. Well, you can make an argument that Merrill Kelly is better. Yeah, presently, Bot would be what they're. Bot would be, yeah, yeah. Mer- presently, yeah, he would be either would be one in line with what their Mario rotation staff. looks like. Yeah, so it'd be like five, and there's a lot of young guys, so you can't really like discount them because they do have the potential to to shut you down if they're like you know you get a top top pitching prospect. He may not you know. Looks like you know, guys could look like Fott this year, you know, like not necessarily someone who's had the best results at the beginning of their career, but it doesn't take much to turn it around. I mean, look, look, look at look at Gallon. I mean, he's an example of a guy who like didn't have that high of a ceiling, uh, when he was with Miami or or the Cardinals. Uh, but since coming over to Arizona with just like a couple minor changes, he's become an ace. So I think that's really like they 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 really they do really do just control their own destiny. They just gotta take take it one game at a time. Don't lose more than one game in a row. I'm not sure whether the math works out for that, but I mean they they go 500 the rest of the way. That would be the games are left. I mean they probably just missed out on the postseason. I think if they went 500 the rest of the way. So they got they gotta win two at least two games in a series. Pretty much what they gotta do. Three out of four again in the four game series they have coming up. They need sweet teams like the Mets. Um like those teams that like really are not good, they have to beat them. Yeah, and also the Rockies too. The Rockies it kinda is uh Rockies White Sox. Yeah, the White Sox they the team they need to sweep. I think it's a two game series though. No, it's a three-game series. You have ten games against those three teams remaining. Okay, yeah. So those ten games that you really want to see them go at least seven and three. Six and four is probably not good enough. To no, to, I think uh, you're thinking at least eight and two, nine and one down that stretch has to happen. 
It's going to be tough to sweep a four game series. It's going to be better. It's got got to be. They're going to play a lot better than they have. I mean, the last two, the last five games have been uh, a lot better than, you know, what we were seeing there. Uh, It's got to keep it up. Like, I don't know. Gotta step up and play like the way they were playing at the beginning of the year, or it's just not gonna happen. Just maybe next year, and then it turns into a, an evaluation period. Uh, tonight they have Gallon going, so hopefully they can make it, you know, three game winning streak. That would help a lot. Speaking of guys that are helping a lot, let's talk about Christian Walker and how he is like, once again quietly having another five war season at first base. We'll talk. So looking at Christian Walker's numbers quickly walker is hitting 275 with 28 home runs and he's driven in 82 runs on the season and is still playing gold glove caliber defense at first base he's got he hit four we have four home runs over the the, the rocky series yep four uh, home runs all the multi-run shots too he, you know as much as people lament paul goldschmidt not being re-signed with the diamondbacks i uh, Christian Walker has been arguably just as good. Uh, I wouldn't I mean, say yeah. just as good, but I, I mean, better yeah, value. Yeah, better. I mean, it depends on this. what you value in the team. Uh, Christian Walker has uh, hasn't quite had the MVP caliber season yet, but the floor of what he, you know, the consistency on a day to day basis, and I mean, for just the value provides, like he's the most. He's the third most valuable player on the team after Carroll and uh, Marte, and you, you know, he. I don't. I don't really. Not much. You got. I mean, yeah. He doesn't have as much power as you would, you know, wish that he'd have. You know, from your first baseman, twenty-eight home runs. Those is, is leads the team. So. We doing? Yeah, twenty-eight home runs. Yep, so he's on pace to get another back-to-back 30 home to get a back-to-back 30 homer season. But kind of the craziest thing about Walker is not only can he hit for power, he's hitting for that solid 275 average, and he's actually having a better season than Paul Goldschmidt this year, believe it or not. Like Goldschmidt's slugging it. percentage is his ISO is complete. So the slug is not as been there as has been in the past. But obviously if you look at the last 5 seasons you'd rather have Goldschmidt, but from a value standpoint, in a vacuum, Walker has certainly been more valuable relative to cost than Goldschmidt is. Yeah, comparing. that's kind of that's how I'd articulate that. I mean, Christian Walker for the value, he provided more value than Paul Goldschmidt on an extension. You can afford to have Corbin Carroll signed to an extension thanks to that. Um, I mean, I'm just looking at his last. I prefer fan graphs. I, I think I've mentioned that before. And some of the, some of the statistics out there, he, I just was looking at him earlier, like this morning, and I was like, he's quietly having a great season, and no one's talking about it. Like you don't hear about him in terms of like this. Uh, I, I'm a very underrated player right now. All right, so we're gonna do a stat head search just to kind of prove how good a season Walker's having. So we're gonna do this on. For those watching on YouTube, we're going to do this right on screen for you. Here in just a bit. Hold that up here. So we're going to do search criteria. and We're going to choose any season. 
Doesn't matter position because we're comparing offense. Statistical filter. So batting average. And we're going to set of greater than 270. And then we're going to include home runs. 30. And obviously RBIs, we're going to do 100. Because Walker is only a good month away from putting up like maybe even as high as 120. I mean, right now, he like since he's become an everyday okay. player, he has career highs in slugging, WRC+, plus, OPS+. Plus. Um, he may have a career high in home runs this year. It depends on how he finishes out the season. He may have a career high in war. He had 4.5. One F four uh, last season. He's at three point eight right now. He could certainly uh, finish. You know, this could be one of his most. I mean, four a four point five WAR first baseman is not um, like he definitely. I mean, he gets hurt by the positional adjustment, but he's an above average defensive first baseman. I mean, it, he's at like minus point five. I think I'm it's not sure how that compares to other first minus baseman. point one. Yeah, he's All right. barely like I mean, there's really not many knocks on him that you could really like he's overall is a very well rounded first baseman. Here we go. These are some historically great seasons. Bonds, 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 bonds. This is bonds so for your peak. See, none of these people none of these people count. You gotta skip ahead. <laughs> and then the first down. person who doesn't have cool. the isn't linked to the juice is Aaron Judge at six. Yeah, last, last season. Right? Next one, yeah. Bryce Harper. Then we get to Gentomi, and then now we start getting into Albert Pujols territory. Miguel Cabrera, Gary Sheffield. 90s Barry. Yeah, pre-juice Barry. Now. We're now into the pre, pre-juice bonds. Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, it's going to be a while before we get to Walker, though. So let's zoom down to 140. Let's zoom down to 142. I mean, you're looking at some pretty good names ahead of them. They're all steroid era. Like. Or, these are some really good bats. I'm going to see. Yeah, Bernard Gilkey. That's an XD back for you. Right, boom. See, that's, even, that's a steroid name. Manny Ramirez, another steroid name. Matt Olson, two years ago, is on this list. Uh, I'm going to see if I can find Walker underrated. on here. We're in the 140s now. Uh, I should look at the number. Re- okay. We're in the 142. There's Walker. There we go. One forty-two. That's uh, like his, if you exclude all the the steroids, steroid guys, it's a historically great season. So this, I wonder if we can sort by war. The Walker's three hundred eight and uh, three hundred eighth in. Actually, let's put it by first base let's change the criteria. Change Actually, because ninety five includes the steroid era. Let's go to two thousand and set of two thousand five. Yeah, it's a little let's, late. You, you just let's go the for clean to first baseman too. Not necessarily first baseman. I just want results. Period. Because yeah. I just want to put names out there. Like you got your Judge, your Harper, your Pujols. There we go. Shohei, Trout. See if Walker. Oh, yeah. It's gonna be a while before we get the Walker, I think. So now, if we get in there, so Walker's there at one forty-one. There's Goldie. 
So yeah, it's still I live in comparable. Now let's do this season. This season only. So we can show off the ridiculousness. This is just sharing names of guys that had great like this is a good season. And for a full season. So now we're gonna change it to have just this season. Did I do it correctly? Okay, so we gotta go to the bottom of the list and get results. So just this season, 270, 28 homers, 82 RBIs, and 3.7 war. There you go. Yeah, that's Peter. He's only behind uh, Shohei and Matt Olsen in terms of, of value. Is it like OPS plus? I mean, no, right I don't there, need OPS so. plus. We're talking about guys that have hit 28 home runs. So if you look at the search, hit at least oh, 270. Yeah. So 3.7 WAR, 270 average, 82 RBI, 28 homers, and I'm using OPS Plus as the sorting. So basically, okay. you got your AL MVP, your second place NL MVP finish, and Christian Walker. Yeah. Obviously, Walker's not going to be confused for winning the MVP award this year, but it's nice company to be in, although he's way off in the home runs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, three a 3.9 WAR first baseman is pretty freaking good. How good's 5-1? I mean, of course, like Shohei, it forgets that like that's just his offensive value. <laughs> I mean, Shohei's bat alone is worth the is worth probably worth the MVP this year. Uh, yeah, his bat alone is MVP. I mean, it's comparable. It's comparable to Judge last season. Actually, might even be Wait, better season at the end of the year. Um, Matt Olson is having a astounding year. Uh, Kind of quietly, uh, was sneaking along half the season, but Walker, Walker's really flying under the radar. You know, hear him banding about with, you know, get rid of the home run criteria, and just sort this year by OPS plus, or or do just first baseman. You want but first baseman OPS plus? You just sort first baseman by OPS plus. This season. All right, we'll clear position first baseman. That's who we're and we will remove. Really and we'll set it's the. It's not at least eighty percent of the games. Christian Walker to Shohei Atan. Okay, like it's not nah, the point is to show like how that. how crazy a season only, he's having. That only two other players can match those numbers. And one of them is an alien. And one of them is an alien. The other guy would be MVP if Ronald Acuna didn't exist. And Acuna might be an alien too. Okay, so okay, this is so he's fourth in Freddie OPS Freeman. plus. Matt Olson, Yandy Diaz. So in the yeah, NL, he's third in OPS plus. Yeah, Freeman comes short in the home run department, but the Dodgers probably aren't asking him to drive in runs. Mostly. He has, so, what, he has way more walks, I'd imagine. So he's sac- I think he's sacrificing a little bit of power to be a more difficult out. In a yeah, way. Yeah, the walk, the walks between the walks. Like, scroll over. So I can see more. I want to see like, the total of his walks. 55. Let's see how much Walker is walking. 49. So Walker's walk rate's just under 10%. Yeah, I mean, he's... Same with... And Freeman's really walk rate's only, about 10. The only real area that you're... Like, Matt Olson is, is getting a crazy amount of walks. 80, 80, 80 walks already. is insane. How did and, this uh, guy make the all-star game over this guy? 
but you notice that that Christian Walker does not have as many strikeouts as pretty much everyone else on that list. Like he's one of four guys who has under uh, under 100 strikeouts right now. Freeman has 50 more one. plate appearances than Walker. Yeah. Yeah, Freddie Freeman, that's the thing. Yeah, he is definitely trading off his power for being a much more tough out because that's ridiculous. Um, and, of course, in Olsen's case, uh, he's the biggest power threat in a lineup where everyone in the lineup could hit 20 homers, so you can't really pitch around him. Man. Yeah, you can't. You that's walk him, and there's another 20 homer threat coming up next. Yeah, that's, the Atlanta is a very tough, tough, tough team. I mean, but the point is, is like, I mean, he's he's holding his own. Uh, clearly, he's a top five first baseman. You do not hear him mentioned. I hear Goldie mentioned more, more than Christian Walker, and he's not even on this team. He hasn't been on this team That's for five, not, almost five years. Yeah, five years. Paul Goldschmidt hasn't been on this team. People are still throwing it out there, and they they don't even see that Christian Walker is having a better system, better a better season than Paul Goldschmidt. Significantly better season. We can compare now. Like, like, like when you add in re- when you sort for war, Walker's now third. He passes Diaz. He's a full run better than Paul. Full win. So although full, war, full, full full win above replacement better than uh, than Goldie. So why did he, people want to like point that out during like the losing period? Christian Walker was never the problem. Well, he certainly has been the and solution. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I guess he's just stepped up and and like that's. Uh, he's certainly certainly an asset to this team. Christian Walker, how, isn't he a free agent after next season? He's got one more year of control before he hits free agency. But if you look at Walker's numbers right now, he's hitting basic. He's putting up. Well, if you want to compare him to Paul Goldschmidt, he's putting up similar OPS plus to Paul Goldschmidt's career. Yeah. So I mean, like, like, that's I think... my thing. it's like all all the things to harp on this team. Like if you're still pining for Goldie, you've got to let it go. We've had a first baseman just as good since then. Christian Walker has been just as good. The only two seasons uh, where I'd say Walker was as good as Goldschmidt or better is this year and the first year Walker was here. I think if we're going value, like in terms of like the value per dollar, I think they've been equal value. Surplus value definitely leans towards Walker. Because Goldschmidt's signing... An extension. Yeah. yeah. That's the whole, uh, my whole real point with, with Goldie was uh, if you look at all the surface value between the two, like, y'all let go. I mean, the man, how Goldie is uh, you know, 35, going to be 36 next year. I mean, he'd be at the end of his contract anyway. Like, why? And it's five years ago. But my point is, is like, um, who would you rather take for next year? Like, I don't I mean, really Christian Walker. He's three years younger. 33-year-old first baseman or 36-year-old first baseman? Yeah, it's pretty obvious. So, like, yeah, if you're if you're D-backs fan and you're still pining for Goldie, let it go. Of course, uh, Walker's going to make more than $10 million next year is my guess. Yeah. Whereas Goldschmidt's locked oh, in yeah. at 26. Oh, yeah, he's definitely going to go up and in, in, uh, they're going to be about comparable. Then it's really, you know, it's, a, it's an equal comparison in terms of, of like, the salary – uh, you know, or you know, player value in dollar terms. I think they'll be about the same uh, once he goes through arbitration. He's going to get a significant raise. Like that's that being top five at your position in the league. Like that's uh, 
that that means you're going to get a raise. But this is definitely like he's having career highs in isolated slugging, in uh, WRC plus, batting OPS average plus, batting average. Well, I mean, uh, he'll, probably have a, he'll probably have it. home runs. His walk rate is his strikeout rate is at a career low. He's at nineteen point four percent K K percentage. That is that Here's is a good career s- low. That's okay. 50%. I just thought of something. Okay, so let's do all any position. This is going to be a fun stat cast search. So, we're going to pick a batter that is hitting 270. So, again, 270 batting at rich or better. We want to talk about more absurd walker stats. Home runs, let's do let's set to 25 or greater. And a strikeout rate of less than 20% for strikeouts. Strikeout stat ratio. We're going to set the plate appearances, and then we're going to set less than or equal to 0.2 or 20%. Before we hit the get results button, how many names do you think will come up? I don't know. Like 270 average, 25 homers, strikeout rate below 20%. And Corbin Carroll will not uh, like, come up on this list. Like five. All right, so you're picking five? I'm saying seven. Names will come up. Only four? Oh, wow. Only four. So he's in company wow. with... Wow, Betts is caught up Acuna. to Acuna. Yeah. Must be D-more. Uh... There you go. And that's his company. Or Arenado, Walker, Betts, and Acuna Jr. Yes. Which There's, it should be pointed out that that Betts and Acuna are both uh, a full two run two wins above replacement better than uh, than Walker. But then again, Mookie Betts is an outfielder who just decided he was going to be a shortstop again. Yeah, he's fielding. He's playing three completely different positions, and he still has plus seven fielding runs. There's that Mookie Betts yeah. may be the most versatile position player oh, yeah. in, his, in the game right now. He could play Absolutely, literally yeah. any position. Behind the pitcher, except first base, because I, that'd be a waste of his talents. I think Fernando Tatis Jr. actually, if he ever got his bat turned around, could be a very similar player. He's been an above average defensive uh, right fielder. Um, I think they, I don't think, in the case of Tatis, and you look at uh, the Padres, and we don't want to yeah. get too much into that one, but uh, you look at the Padres, Tatis obviously is going to play right field because they're set everywhere. They're pretty much set everywhere else. I mean, possibly. You could possibly slide in the center even if they get another bat in the outfield that, could, yeah. that has to play a corner. Like Tatis could play yeah. any position on the field. He's only playing that out of like necessity. They have too many, too many shortstops. They're just collecting shortstops like Thanos collecting infinity stones. Um, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Find the ones that play so, have the strong. See which guys yeah, can it's not about, it's play not other about, positions. Uh, strategy at all i mean some teams use that as a basis of a draft strategy and you want to draft the, to draft the best athlete you know possible whether it's you know free agency or you know like draft i mean that's the thing it's much easier to move down the defensive spectrum than up it although there's some teams that like don't care anymore about that which is odd um so dodgers were that way until that's ended up I mean, becoming a godsend for them on the infield 
I don't think they could have predicted that. They certainly could. He came up as an infielder. No. Yes, he came up as an infielder, but you don't normally predict that you're, you know, you're... Gold glove right uh, fielder can play shortstop and second base proficiently. Yeah, who he has not played shortstop since like high school, or at least the first year he was drafted. Like he's not played shortstop in like a decade. That is not something people normally do, um, and like and are above average. Like I'm sure, like I'm sure you could move uh, Jake McCarthy over to shortstop, or you know, give me he's left handed though. So, or, uh, yeah, I don't know. What I'm, I'm sure you can move some other right field, you know, some other outfielder to to shortstop, and they could they would be okay for like you know maybe an inning or two before like if oh, they don't hit the ball that way. Yeah, until the ball gets hit that way. Uh, so Walker, do you think he's jumped ahead of Carroll as the MVP of this team? I like I said, if Carroll continues to slump in the next. Next six, uh, next six weeks, and Walker continues to surge. I think he could. Doesn't that kind of underrate Cattell Marte since he's been in between the two of them in value? Yeah, but also Marte's kind of sliding off a little bit of late as well. That's the other. Yeah, he's had an okay. He had an okay series. So I mean, I don't. He's kind of pacing. I do think that he's kind of fallen off. Well, more well, so I, the power department has fallen off more yeah. so than anything. But yeah, Walker's past Marte and B in fan gr- baseball reference war. Marte's only been point two since the All Star break. The OPS mm. plus has dropped to one twenty eight. Yeah, I I think Walker definitely has been the MVP as of late. The first half MVP is definitely Corbin Carroll. Um, Here's this fun statistical I mean, oddity: Marte leads the league in triples. He's tied with Shohei Otani with seven. That is a very odd, like the fact that first of all, it's it's like okay, uh, second baseman, kind of five tool guy. You see, I could buy that. Uh, the fact that he's tied with a pitcher DH is just like absurd. Like we live in an absurd reality. I don't know where this man came from, but it's like always like this. This is a tungsten arm of Doyle moment right there. Like. The the hell, dude. Uh, no, I mean, Catalac, there's a big distinct, there's a big jump between F War and B War uh, for him. So, like, I mean, that's, that's really defense. why I wouldn't. It's his defense. Uh, that's all defense. I don't want. He has all defensive. Uh, like, his offensive value has been, been, like, you know, significant. What's his, uh, what's his offense value on Van Grass? I have 3.6. Oh, only 11 runs above average? Yeah. A minus one point one uh, on defense. What's his WRC plus? One twenty-three. Why does it feel like every Diamondbacks player has a WRC plus that is five points lower than their OPS plus? There, I think it's not really. Uh, one of them is not taking. First of all, taking. Uh, Base running does not. Taking, it's not. It's fact. They're not factoring in base running or like. Taking they are in WRC run. plus. It, yeah, they are in WRC plus. So it doesn't seem that doesn't seem to be the. Uh, but base running sure. doesn't I mean, that, account for the gap. Hmm. I'm. I can't really. I. I don't know what would. Like what would account for the gap? I have noticed there's a strong, and it's the only thing I can really. I. I mean, think of like that as it's like stolen bases necessarily. It's just like how often they take. 
extra bases. We're talking about a difference of seven, uh, a run value of seven, because Marte's bat is worth 18 runs above average on baseball reference. And then his yeah. other offensive value is zero, which is base running double plays are zero. Hmm. And then, yeah, of course, that's 16. Interesting, that's interesting uh, this junction there. That, so defense accounts for three runs then. No, it's, D war, it's five runs, so mm. it's just one of those things where two well, things uh, disagree with each other. Yeah, so, like, I mean, right now, in terms of value, like, your most valuable players have been Carroll, obviously, then Walker, then Marte. Perdomo has fallen off since the first half. I mean, he had the lead for, for the first few months. Uh, and then Carroll quickly outran him. He's still at, he's still at 2.6 war, which is, like, really, like, that's a great bounce back. I mean, I, I would almost call uh, Perdomo the comeback player of the year. Yeah, I don't like guys winning comeback player of the year because they were absolute crap the year before. Mm, I mean, I, I I disagree on that. I don't see any problem with it. We've got uh, a wayward poster. I know. Let's see if I can make that. All right. So looking at obviously, we should talk. Oh, we're going to talk about Carroll and whether or not he's going to be able to hold on to Rookie of the Year in a separate video. But we're going to transition over to the next topic of the day, and that's going to be Miguel Castro and that. And a $5 million decision that is coming up for the D-backs pretty soon. I don't I don't pick up his option. Well, the only way they can't pick up this option is prevent it from vesting in the first place. They only have he only has four mm. appearances. And of course, uh, then you kind of you kind of have to unless you want to just be a, a dick and release him, which in that, that case, it's bad public relations. Like then it's going to piss off the players what? union. So really. Uh, if you just defate him after like one thing of it, that's the only way you can avoid it is, is by like either benching him and like just not the Diamondbacks can't really afford to do that. We're gonna pull up uh, Castro's baseball reference numbers here. So Castro has a is five and five with a four five zero ERA and fifty six appearances. Although interestingly enough, if we go by scoreless appearances, Castro has actually been scoreless in. Forty-four or fifty-six. Although you can argue that he has been kind of lucky because he is because opponents have a two twenty average on balls put in play, and that's just the balls put in play. And there's no there's nothing behind the bad ball data that would otherwise suggest it's doable, other than a downturn in average exit velocity from two years from last season, a two a two mile an hour drop, and a hard hit rate that is a career low. 27%. But the line drive rate is nearly 30%, and line drives typically turn into hits versus a 40% ground ball rate. Now, if Castro were putting up, like, say, a 55, 60% ground ball rate, I would buy, the, I would be more buying of the 220 balls in play average. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I just don't really, it's like I kept looking at the stats there and the, the the screen. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I, if you if they could avoid picking up that and you know, making the option vest, then I, they would, but I mean, it's kind of underhanded and shady to, to how they would do that. It's either you bench him and like you have him here one game and then you have a week of clean appearances, things like that. 
I mean, they could theoretically do that, but at that point, like I would imagine the player union would file a grievance. So uh, you really no way to avoid it or you just DFAM. I mean, at this point, you, you already know you, if you don't feel comfable with the decision, it's just do it now. Yeah. I would just DFAM. It's like I mean, either DFAM now, if or decision. if you don't commit to it now, you commit five, you might as well just hold on to him. Keep the $5 million. It's like you've spent the five and then just spend the $5 million. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you hold on to him, hope that he has a bounce back, you know, first half, trade him at the deadline. So kind of the thing that worries me about a bounce. They're going to have to make news like that. Like, you know, not just with him, but, uh, you know, pitchers in general, if they're and players in general, if they really want to stay competitive in the long run. So thing that worries me, obviously, is the strikeout minus walk rates. While he is got better bad ball data than past years, in my opinion, the strikeout rate is down. The walk rate, good news, is down. But the strikeout minus walk rate, so this is the number I reference a lot, is stayed relatively the same the last three seasons. And to me, strikeout and walk rates translate better for pitchers year to year than FIP, X, FIP, and all that. So you're looking at a guy whose strikeout minus walk rate is below league average. League average being 14%, I believe. And a career yeah, rate like of... This, this it's just a... And that's kind of the thing. Well, can't DFA him. He had a big now. hit yesterday. <laughs> I guess... But that's pretty much the main concern. And you can't expect the 220 balls in play average to stay the same. Usually it evens out over the long haul. And that's something that worries me with Castro, obviously. If that balls in play average continues to even out, his numbers aren't going to look particularly great. And, of course, oh, uh, looking at here, in there. He's not, re- not much. If if you use XFIP as the stats, the regression, the XFIP is basically two points lower than the so there's no regression. He, he's already regressed to where he's going to be. No, I'm, I'm just in terms of his, his batting average of balls in play has been, I mean, he's not that much below his career norms, but still relatively low. Um, I would expect his. Uh, and then you I also know, have to factor in the strand rate. There's an interesting trend there where, you know, he had it going, trending downwards, staying below. Like two, I mean, you can see he's got some ups and downs in it, but I mean, I just looking at previous trends in his his uh, balls in play, um, I would expect him to get worse next year. I'm projecting as such. So anyways, we're gonna so, like cut losses right then and there. That's kind of where I think about how I feel about that one. If you want something crazy, you should wa- look at. Well, you should watch the Gambo rant that he made yesterday as he was blowing yesterday's game. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that, but I will check it out. So we're gonna close it up here with. We're gonna close it up here with the San Diego series preview. Again, if you're here at the 47 minute mark, hit that subscribe button and leave a like comment down below. How many games the Dimebacks could take against the Padres this weekend? So as Wes alluded to earlier, Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly, and Brandon Fott are scheduled for the first three games of the series with TBA for Sunday. And there is uh, 
it literally may come down to how they feel that day because if Zach Davies got blown up in his rehab start on Tuesday, didn't even last more than an inning. So the D-backs may feel like Davies needs another rehab start to get stretched out, but they don't feel comfortable I no, with him. I have, I have no comment on, on Zach Davies, but I don't uh, think the D-backs are in a roll with, with Davies uh, the rest of the so, season. I'm very surprised if he makes more than one start. So the alternative is your bullpen game. You start Kyle Nelson and have Bryce Jarvis go after him. If you want to talk about Jarvis real quick, what do you like yeah, from Bryce his Jar- debut? He's fantastic. I mean, that's fantastic seeing him, uh, you know, have his debut in front of his dad and like just uh, just it, you couldn't ask uh, for a better debut for a, a rookie pitcher like that. It's really good to see him pitching like three, you know, a couple innings at a time. It does show that they actually are serious about keeping him as a starter. Um, I like I'm liking what I'm seeing. He has better stuff than I than I had uh, anticipated. I think that I uh, he I I would I would bump him up. I probably will bump him up in my uh, prospect rankings, but they are not in the article I'm putting out later this week. So because he yeah. has appeared in the major leagues, uh, but he in terms of just like prospect evaluation and all that. Uh, definitely, he is one of the better pitching prospects in our in our, in our system. I think he's comparable to Fott, honestly, in terms of like the potential value you could have in the future. This, this stuff plays at course field, and if it plays at course, it'll play anywhere. That's, that's the thing. Pretty much where I'm coming from with that is because I I if he's it, it's it's uh, interesting that he uh, like if he plays so well at course and I some like. It does not play well in Amarillo. That's the one thing I will say. He's a much different pitcher than he was two years ago. Well, yeah, actually, that's where he started, yeah. and he had two really good starts and got promoted. Yeah. But he's he's definitely – it should be an asset going forward, like just as much as like the other young pitchers that we've, we've seen this year. I, I definitely uh, – over the last like week or two, like he's gotten much higher marks uh, just in terms of his stuff. I – a pitching his pitches his pitch selection uh velocity his makeup is uh like i mean i really i'd put him i'd put him in the top 10 of the diamondbacks prospects right now uh if he qualified in the and you know whatever rankings yeah the thing that i liked about jarvis obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of movement on his pitches the fourth well or at least on his uh secondary pitch this slider has really good movement. It has above average movement, both vertically and horizontally. And that's accounting for the fact that that course field, which nerfs breaking balls. I'm yeah, curious to see how that'll cool. drop at Petco park when it's at sea level. I, I do worry that uh, he may, we may see a little bit of a, like a, a, a rough outing in San Diego, just because like difference at sea level. I think that's the thing. Cause he may just have trouble hitting the strike zone. If it breaks that much more at sea level, I don't think the guys that used to pitching at sea level the last year. I mean, that's what you, that's what the bullpen's for. Yeah. Seeing how the ball moves and then adjusting your sight lines as you're warming up. Yeah. And also your warm up pitches. And then maybe a first five or six pitches you throw in a ball game because he's going to be pitching a lot more games out. A lot more games outside of elevation. The D-backs will not be playing at Coors Field again, so the highest elevation ballpark he's going to be pitching yeah. in the rest of the way is at Chase. Well, I was saying, San Diego is an interesting uh, – like, actually, San Francisco is, too, in, in terms of the weather 
patterns like later 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 in the evening as like you know fog moisture rolls in cooler temperatures roll in like it, it can be very different pitching conditions pitching you know for the bullpen and then like when you're actually in the game and that's uh something to watch out for well they won't be playing in san francisco again this season so that'll be something to watch for next year but he'll be starting yep most likely next time they come into San Francisco. What's your so, predictions for how many games the Diamondbacks will take of this Padres series? I'm predicting a split. I think they win Zach Gallon and Merrill, Merrill Kelly start, and then one game will get away from them. Bullpen does something that prevents a series win. I, I'm going to predict... I uh, Well, my normal way of predicting things would be that they, they're going to get swept. They're going to be awful. They're going to sweep. I'm going to say, you know, predict that just so in case they are bad, I'm right. Uh, but no, in all honestly, I, I think that they'll, they'll go like three or four. I so think you're going three or four. Three or four from this. Yeah, I think they can take three or four from this side. You think they need to take three team. or four is the question. I think they do. I think they need to take at least three guys here. Preferably, they, I think they'd sweep Padres. That put them in a really great position uh, to make the playoffs if they could sweep Padres. Right. I don't know if they can so, do it. I don't. I don't know if they can do it. But thanks everyone for watching. If you're watching the YouTube video, make sure to hit that subscribe, leave a like, and comment down below how many games the Dynamax will take from the Padres out of four. See how optimistic or pessimistic you are at this point of how they can salvage their season and get to that 85 win mark to give them a chance at the wild card. Also, if you're listening in. On audio only formats, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, make sure to check out the YouTube channel, Snakes on the Diamond, and check out all our additional content that normally isn't part of the podcast, such as we're going to do a video on Corbin Carroll uh, and his chances of winning Rookie of the Year if it's still very high or if it's uh, we got to start worrying. But uh, that's pretty much the gist of it, more or less. Tier lists, prospect tier lists. You got yeah, that we're gonna be doing to look forward to. In the off season.